Well, church family, church family, I want to say thank you guys. Thank you for your, uh, just for your thoughtfulness and your love for us. Um, I mean this genuinely. Erica and I uh, love you guys so much. And so we, we just have just so much joy to, for Jesus because he brought you guys into our lives. And, um, yeah, we love you guys. We do. And we, we carry concern for you. We love rejoicing with you. And it's a great privilege for me to be uh, your pastor. I know Erica would share that same concern if she were up here and say it's a great privilege for us. And so thank you for loving us in that way. We appreciate it. It means a lot. It really does. Um, so we rejoice in God's goodness. Um, I see a lot of blue and red out there today. Um, I, I'll be honest, I didn't expect that to be the case. I thought it was going to be a dark blue and red. But it turn, turns out to be uh, cubby blue and red. And so uh, I'm happy for you guys. And uh, smiling through my teeth. <laughs> in, in 1505, Martin Luther was on his way home from uh, school. And he was stuck in a lightning storm. And he panicked. And he cried out a prayer. Basically, God, if you get me through this... I will be a monk. And sure enough, he got through the lightning storm and became a monk. And through that, he came to put his faith in Jesus, and the Protestant Reformation was born. I know some of you guys cried out in the ninth inning and are here today to follow through on your vows. So we're trusting that a revival will be born in Chicago because of this Sunday morning. So... <laughs> Man, oh man. Well, we are today, believe it or not, in our 30th week in the book of Mark. Crazy, huh? And uh, back when we started the book of Mark in February, um, there was a, several different goals as to why we wanted to learn from the book of Mark. One of those reasons was it talks about discipleship, which is to say what it means to follow Jesus in the day-to-day -day aspects of life. My, my desire is, as we go through Mark, you'll learn what it means to live for Jesus each day. Also, we had to go, the goal of helping those of us here today, those of you who are here, who have yet to put your faith in Jesus. Maybe you're still trying to figure out what you believe, and we believe that the book of Mark would be a great place for you to get on this journey of understanding who Jesus is, what he has done, and what did he teach the third reason why we did the book of Mark is we want to equip you who are children of God to be able now to walk with others who are children of God and make disciples yourselves. See, Christianity grows by way of those who know Jesus pouring out their lives into others that they may know Jesus, grow into faith, and therefore in the same way pour out their lives for others. It is discipleship, or as one says, disciple cycles that we want to be on. And the book of Mark addresses all areas of life, from prayer, the good news of Jesus, who Jesus was, our identity, what it means to turn from sin, all kinds of great discussions. But today... There's a particular topic that's going to be very helpful for us in our society, a topic that's difficult, but a topic that's necessary to learn about. And my prayer is that you would be equipped for your own life 
to apply these truths and that you would be equipped to speak these truths into the lives of people around you. Today, we're looking at Mark chapter 10, where Jesus takes on the question of divorce and remarriage. Jesus takes on the question of divorce and remarriage. Now, undoubtedly, in our culture, this is an important question to understand what God has to say about it. But even just saying the two words, divorce and remarriage, I understand and recognize that this creates all kinds of feelings in each one of us. I know that there are some of us here today who've, or all of us in one way or another, another have been hurt or have experienced the pains of divorce. Maybe it's your own marriage that once was but has dissolved since. Maybe you're in a marriage and you're contemplating divorce. Maybe it was a loved one, someone that you're close to, who went through a divorce and you walked with them through it and you experienced with them the hurts of it. Maybe you're single today and marriage terrifies you because of what you see concerning divorce. Just, just the words alone for all of us bring emotions. I reached out to some this morning and said, hey, pray for me because I understand this is, this is an important topic, but it's not an easy one. So we're going to stop, we're going to pause, and we're going to pray right now. And ask the Lord to instruct our hearts. And truthfully, I want us to walk away with this fact, that we would understand that God views marriage as precious and sacred in his sight. And what God has put together, let no one separate. This is the heartbeat of the Bible. But we know we live in a broken world where what ought to be is not always what is. And so we pray that you would leave today encouraged where you need to be encouraged, healed where you need to be healed, rebuked where you need to be rebuked, and instructed as you need to be instructed. So let's pray together, church family. God, I love you. And I'm so grateful, Lord, that even in the toughest issues of life, Lord, that you do not remain silent, God. And Lord, the question is not whether or not you have told us, but the question is whether or not we will receive it, Lord. And so this morning, I ask God that you would give us the ears to hear, give us the eyes to see, give us the heart to receive what you would have for us. And Lord, may we, as a church, be better equipped for this glorious Christian life with all its struggles, with all its burdens, and with all of its joys. Father, for those who are here today already anticipating or maybe dreading this message, Lord, would you comfort their hearts? And Lord, would you guide them in your ways in only the ways that you, by your Spirit, can do? Speak through me, Holy Spirit, I pray. I want to get out of the way, Lord. I want to play the background, and I want you to speak. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, let's turn our Bibles to the book of Mark, chapter 10. The book of Mark, chapter 10. The book of Mark is towards the end of the Bible. It is the third book of the New Testament. Matthew, sorry, second book. Matthew, Mark, then Luke and John. Matthew, Mark. So we're in the book of Mark, chapter 10, reading verses 1 through 12 I'm going to do here in order to get the passage in front of us, and then we're going to unpack it a verse at a time. That's what Mark writes. And Jesus left there 
and went to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan. And crowds gathered to him again. And again, as was his custom, he taught them. I love it. Jesus teaching people frequently. Verse 2. <clears throat> and Pharisees came up, and in order to test him, say test him, they asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Well, Jesus answered them, What did Moses command you? They said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. And Jesus said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Say that with me. The two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. Verse 10, and in the house, the disciples asked him again about this matter. And he said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. These are Jesus' words in Mark chapter 10. The Bible has much to say on the topic elsewhere in the book of Matthew, in the book of Luke, in 1 Corinthians, and we look back in Genesis 2, in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 24, the book of Hosea. The Bible has much to say about this matter. So this passage is not the end-all, be-all in the discussion, but we're going to use it as a launch pad. We're going to say what Mark here says that Jesus says, and then look at what Jesus says elsewhere together. It says that the Pharisees came up to Jesus in order to test him. They wanted to put Jesus in a precarious situation where he was there with a crowd around him forced to ask a question that people are asking. And what they want to do, as was often the case, was to trip him up publicly to discredit his teaching. And so there they are in a large crowd. They ask him, a lightning rod kind of question. A lightning rod kind of question. And they ask him, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? See, the question that's going on here behind their mind is a common discussion that was going around, going around the Jewish people at the time. There was a prominent Jewish teacher named Hillel, Rabbi Hillel. And Hillel had a teaching from his understanding from Deuteronomy chapter 24 that a couple could divorce under any circumstance that they deemed appropriate. As he unpacks, this Rabbi Hillel unpacks this teaching, he says any good reason could even include burning the dinner. Crazy. Some of y'all be in trouble with that one. And so there's this discussion going on. What are appropriate grounds for divorce? If Hillel, this prominent rabbi, says it's any good reason, well, Jesus, what, what do you say on the matter? What, what's your understanding, Jesus? They ask Jesus, is it lawful? Just behind their question, they're kind of asking, how close to the edge can we get before we fall over? Jesus, how can we justify the things that we want to do and still make it okay with God. 
See, the heartbeat behind their question that Jesus is going to get at here is not seeking to learn in order to please God, but it's to find an answer to satisfy their own desires. And Jesus asked them a penetrating question in verse 3. He says, what did Moses command you? It's like Jesus sidesteps Rabbi Hillel and says, all right, that guy's cool and all, but it's the word of God that matters. It's not this man's opinion but, but what does Moses say? And by Moses, Jesus is referring to the first five books of the Bible that Moses wrote. They knew very well what Moses had to say in Deuteronomy 24. In verse 4, they said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. So they acknowledge, all right, Moses teaches that it's okay to divorce. But the question still is, on what grounds? But Jesus says, you know what, let's look at this. He says, because of your hardness of heart, Moses wrote to you this commandment. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. And the two shall become one flesh. So they're no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no one separate. It's like Jesus saying, yes, Moses allowed for divorce, but it's because of your hard hearts that he did so. It's because of the sin that leads to that point that made divorce allowed, what Jesus says. And so Jesus gets to the heart condition. This is not a matter of what's lawful or legal, but it's what's going on in our hearts. And Jesus teaches us some important lessons about marriage here. He says, from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. From the beginning. It's like Jesus is saying, God's design is marriage. God made marriage, and when he made marriage, he did not make divorce. He gave Adam and Eve marriage to enjoy it for all times until they die. And this is, this is what Jesus is teaching. Marriage is a divine creation. And God then holds the copyright on marriage. And when we want to redefine marriage and marital standards, we are infringing on his copyright. And Jesus says it, that marriage is a divine creation between male and female. Now, in Jesus' day, this wasn't the pertinent question, but it certainly is in ours. And what Jesus tells us is, from the very beginning, God made a male and a female to be married and for that marriage to last forever. So not only do we err when we redefine marital circumstances or marital separation apart from God's word, but we also err when we redefine something that includes other than a male and a female for all time. The trajectory of the Bible as it teaches is that homosexuality, homosexual marriage is not God's design it is not blessed by God. It is not God's institu institution. God did not create that kind of marriage. And the Bible teaches it. And Jesus here teaches it. Now I say that recognizing in our culture, that, that's, a, that's a pretty controversial word. But as Jesus said there, he says, what does Moses say? What does the Bible say? And so we hold to what the Bible says. Now, I know that there are people in our lives, and perhaps even you here today, some struggling with your identity, 
struggling with same-sex attraction, struggling with the desire to pursue another of the same sex, and perhaps even to the point of marriage. And we want you to know that we love you without judgment. But we also want you to know that God's word says that that is not his plan. And to pursue such a life and to pursue such a union is to pursue something that is sin against God. And so we here at the brook want to walk with you in that. We're not saying you can't be with us. We're not saying that your struggles are not real. They are real. Your identity questions are real. And we want to walk with you through that. So if that's your battle today, please come talk with me. Come, Come talk with Jeremy. And let us surround you with sisters, surround you with brothers who can help you. We'll respect your privacy. We'll respect your struggle. But we're going to walk with you in that. Because God's desire is that we walk in holiness, whether single or married. So Jesus says here, it's always been God's design that marriage is divine creation between one man and one woman to last a lifetime. Because when two come together, they become one. And this is not just a sexual union, but there is a spiritual, an emotional, a mental. There is a oneness that takes place in marriage that is not meant to be torn apart. You can't separate your coffee from the creamer. And Jesus says marriage is not meant to be separated because it's precious in God's sight. So Jesus is saying Hillel's reasoning is wrong. Any good reason is no good reason. But I want to zoom out some because here Jesus tells us In verse 11, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And and if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. I want to zoom out because I want to help us understand a biblical theology. That means understanding what the Bible as a whole has to say about marriage, divorce, and remarriage. I want to instruct you guys. I want to help you guys in these discussions. And here, Jesus gives no ground for divorce in Mark 10. You notice that? He says it's not okay. And I believe the reason being is that Jesus so wants to elevate the marriage covenant that he's saying you shouldn't even be thinking about these other questions. You became one flesh. But elsewhere, Jesus gives some more discussion on it. Not much more, but enough more for us to get a better picture In Matthew chapter 19, verse 9, Matthew 19, verse 9, Jesus says, I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. Here Jesus adds an exception clause. Whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality commits adultery. That's Matthew 19, verse 9. If they marry another. What Jesus is saying here is that in his understanding, this term, sexual immorality, provides a grievous yet legitimate ground for divorce. But notice, he doesn't mention that ground in Mark, and I get, my my belief is this, that Jesus is saying, I don't want us going that path. I don't want you thinking in those ways how, how you can get out of this marriage. I want you to fight for it. I want you to go with it. I want you to work with it. But there is a kind of sin 
that causes marriages to unravel, and he says it is sexual immorality, which is a broad term throughout the Bible for all kinds of sexual sin, but certainly including adultery. And here Jesus, in Matthew 19, 9, says that's a, that's a legitimate ground for divorce. But, but notice this. He does not say it is a necessary ground for divorce. See, even something as painful as infidelity in the marriage, and it is painful because it's a betrayal of trust, it's something that compromises the most intimate of relationship, Jesus says it still does not necessitate a divorce. Because what God is saying here is this, even, even in the most painful of situations within marriage, with repentance and with forgiveness, restoration is possible. It's possible. Now, that being said, that's not always the case where repentance is genuinely pursued. Some things are so grievous, and I don't want to undermine those hurts that so many have experienced. Some here, people in your lives. But you need to hear this, that even here, Jesus says, fight for your marriage. Don't just go for the exception clause. It's there because our hearts are hard, and our hard hearts lead us to sin, and our hard hearts prevent us from repentance, and our hard hearts prevent us from re reconciling. And Jesus is saying, don't go there. Don't go there. See, adultery is so deceptive because we start to believe this grass is greener on the other side kind of terminology only to find out it's artificial turf. It's not even real. Proverbs 5, a father is preparing his son to leave the nest. And he says, my son, I need to tell you something here. Because you're about to enter the real world. And there's a lot that glitters that's not gold out there. He says in verse 3 of Proverbs 5, For the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. But Jesus says this, or Proverbs says this, But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps follow the path to Sheol. What the Bible tells us here is that as we walk in a marital relationship, that there are all sorts of temptations around us that we must resist in order to fight for and preserve the covenant of marriage. Proverbs talks about that tells the young man to watch out. Now for the sake of being, just wanting to instruct you guys, I want to raise the question now of remarriage. Remarriage. Jesus says whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. What Jesus is saying here is that there are illegitimate grounds for divorce. And when you illegitimately divorce in order to pursue another, it is as if you remain in marital covenant with your previous spouse, although legally divorced, it is not recognized by God. And when we remarry to another on illegitimate grounds from a previous divorce, Jesus is saying it's like you're taking another as your spouse while being remarried still in my sight. Jesus is saying there are illegitimate grounds that lead to further sin. Now I want to make this clear here. 
Maybe that's your story. Or maybe someone has asked you those questions saying, hey, I've been previously divorced on wrong grounds. I know it. I'm remarried. Am I perpetually living in sin now? And I want you to understand this thing. See, see, God offers grace and forgiveness to us. But the first step of freedom from that bondage is to acknowledge, yes, God, I've sinned against you. I've done what is wrong. But now don't go and make it worse by dissolving yet another marriage. Where you're at is where you'll be and you fight because let this be your last. And so this is what the Bible's teaching us here. That there are illegitimate grounds for divorce. There is legitimate grounds for divorce. And when there are illegitimate grounds, there are illegitimate reasons for remarriage. And when there are legitimate grounds for divorce, there appears to be legitimate grounds for remarriage. According to 1 Corinthians, even verses 13 and 15. But for the sake of time, we'll pass on that. See, in our culture, divorce is made very easy. In the state of Illinois, we could be divorced because of irreconcilable differences. Because we just don't get along. And again, Jesus says, don't go with what society or others say. Go with what God says here. If you've been stung or burned by the pains of the divorce, I want you to say, you know what, I'm going to hold on to some scriptural passages that, that are going to remind me of the forgiveness that God offers me when I turn to him. We often hear, quote, Psalm 103 at the brook, because it's just a great psalm. If you're, if you're battling some of the guilt and the shame because of past relationships, current failure, memorize this thing. It says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. And the first one, who forgives all our iniquity. How much of it? How much of it? There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. So even when we've failed in the past, when we come to God in the present, we can hold fast to his promises that as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us, Psalm 103 says. So these words aren't here to hang your sin and your failure over your head, but it's to call you to say, yes, I have sinned, yes, I have failed, but no, I'm not going to wallow in that, because yes, I'm turning to the cross where my sin was purchased by the blood of Jesus. This is what Jesus wants us to hear as he teaches on divorce and remarriage. Some might ask, what if I'm married to somebody who does not love Jesus? Maybe at the time of our marriage, I was not a follower of Jesus, but I am now, and our marriage is a constant friction for me and a hindrance in my faith. Or maybe you were a believer before you got married. And in some poor choices, married someone who did not share the same conviction as you. First Peter 3, Peter says to wives, in the same way the truths apply to men and husbands. He says, you wives, be submissive to your own husbands, so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be one without a word by the behavior of their wives. What Peter is saying here is, if your spouse does not share the same passion for Jesus, 
you stay in that marriage and let your actions and let your words and let your prayers ring out for your spouse so that they might come to know Jesus should that be what God has. 1 Corinthians 7, Paul says, do not divorce your spouse because they don't believe in Jesus. But you stay there and you love them radically, even when it's hard. Even when it's hard. Now I want to talk to you who are married today, who are really battling maybe in the home, maybe contemplating divorce. I want to warn you, saying don't go that route. And certainly don't battle that alone. You know, as a church, we talk about living life in community as a family. That means we rejoice when you get new jobs. We rejoice when there's marriages. We rejoice when there's all kinds of celebrations. But that also means we roll up our sleeves and say, hey, I'm walking with you through this. I know you and the wife or you and the husband aren't getting along right now. You're not alone. And so we want you to fight for your marriage. Get perspective. See the big picture. Your marriage isn't perfect, and neither is the one next to you. What we say often here at the Brook, there's no picture-perfect marriage, but every marriage is meant to what? Point to the picture that is perfect, and the perfect picture is God's love for his bride, the church. And that's what our marriages are to point to, Jesus. So get perspective. If you're struggling in your marriage, get perspective. Sometimes I've mentioned we fixate on the flaws of our spouse, and like this phone right here is their flaw. And we see them, and we're, we're happy, but the more we start focusing on it, it just zeroes in before you know it. All you see is the flaw of your spouse, and you're so miserable, unhappy, and you want out, and you have no perspective. Let God increase your vision through the lens of the cross, reminding that your marriage is meant to point to Jesus. Understand the oneness that was created in the covenant. Have a divorce is not an option mindset. When we do premarital counseling, Erica and I, we look at these engaged couples and we ask them, is divorce an option? Because if the answer is ever yes, I will say, I will not marry you. Because this is till death does you part. So marrieds here, protect your marriage. Protect your marriage. Fight for it. Don't even let the kids get in the way. We were recently asked, how do we help our kids understand the priorities in our marriage and we tell the kids, you know, sometimes in joking, but also in truth, hey, see this, me and mommy? That, that's before you. We're here. We're a team. We are one. And we're going to go out together. We're going to date each other. I'm going to love her. She's going to love me. And you need to know that she is the one I made a covenant with. And helping your kids see that your marriage is a priority even over your children is the safest place that they can be. They want to know that. So many couples make the kids their priorities. Their lives revolve around them. They forget who they're married to. And when the kids grow up and go off to college, they look across the dining room table and say, who are you? I haven't known you for 15 years. Let it not be the case. Married couples remain sexually intimate with one another. Don't let yourself resist your spouse 
that only create greater frustration and hurt. And maybe there are hurts that have led to that place, but then you've got to talk about it. And maybe you need to pursue some counseling to help you work through the issues that have led to that place. And that's okay. But fight for your marriage. Pray together. Fast together. Spend quality time together. Fight. If I say that word 30 times today and it sticks in your ears, praise the Lord. Fight for your marriage. In January, we're looking to hear at the Brook have a marital focus as we start the new year to help continue to equip you guys. Now, a word to singles. A word to singles. You desire marriage. My word from the scriptures for you is to never pursue someone who has divorce as an option in the relationship. Just don't do it. Save yourself the heartache. You enter into covenant until death does you part. Secondly, don't enter into a dating relationship, you Christian girls, you Christian guys, with someone who does not share your faith. No, marriage will not fix them. No, there's no, no missionary dating. Because what happens is you start liking them, and then you start loving them, and then you marry them, and then you are in covenant with someone who doesn't share your convictions, and your life will be difficult. I've never heard someone say, I'm glad I did that. They say it hurts. And yes, there are circumstances and stories where someone comes to faith. Don't bank on that. Be wise how you proceed. Treasure your singleness. Singleness is a gift. Should God call you to walk in singleness for the rest of your life, that is not a consignment to misery. It is a gift. Yes, there will be struggles, but yes, there are struggles in marriage. Marriage is a gift. Singleness is a gift. Treasure them both. Because if you resent your singleness and you want somebody to fulfill your desires, you get married, and guess what? They can't do that. They can't fulfill all your desires, because only God can fulfill all your desires. So you'll enter into marriage frustrated because they are not God. So in your singleness, let God satisfy you deep within. And should he bring someone to your life that shares that same passion, Glory to his name. Glory to his name. See, what, what Jesus teaches here, what the Bible shows us, is that marriage is precious in God's sight. And God made marriage with the intention that it would last until you die. Until you die. And the call then is to fight for it. It was never meant to be easy because you're two selfish, sinful people who are now living in the same house. You know, a friend of mine says, you know, they say, man, marriage is, or singleness is really hard. He's like, no, no, marriage is really hard. It's a miracle any of them survive. The truth of the matter is we're broken people. But God made marriage. He loves marriage, and he will empower you in your marriage. After all, the Bible's about a marriage. And it's the marriage of the Bible that gives us the right perspective in our lives. You see, Jesus says that the church is his wife. 
No, Mary Magdalene could not have been his wife because Jesus has a bride. And her name is the church. And she is as imperfect as they get. She turns on him. She forsakes him. And yet he came to this earth, holy God, because his love for her had no bounds. And he went to the cross to die for his bride, to purify her, so that one day there's going to be a marriage supper. You think you've been to some good marriage receptions? There's going to be one, as we see in Revelation 19, where Jesus is going to be there with his wife, and we're going to gather around a table. And Revelation 19 says, Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. Jesus is going to gather his church. He's going to have a marriage celebration like no other. And heaven will be an eternal honeymoon with our Savior. See, the Bible's about a marriage. And God has given you married couples the grand privilege of letting your marriage point to the picture that is perfect. And when you struggle, you forgive because God forgave. You fight because Jesus fought for his bride, for the glory of God. I want to close in prayer here. I want to circle back one more time and acknowledge that I know these words are hard for some of us. And I want you to know that I don't want you to feel isolated. I'm here for you. The leaders of the brook are here for you. If you got questions that remain, because I know I couldn't cover everything. You got questions that remain, please ask me. Let us walk with you in this. You say, you know what? We need counseling. Talk to me. We'll find you someone, maybe here at the brook or someone outside of the brook. We'll find you someone to walk with you. Because marriage is precious in God's sight. And what God has joined together, let no one separate. Let's pray, church. Oh, Lord, I love you, Lord. And I'm so grateful that even with these just most personal of questions in life, that you, oh God, don't remain silent. That you love us enough to teach us. And so, Lord, may we love you enough to obey. Father, for those today who are struggling with knowing what to do with their current circumstance or situation, Lord, I pray that you would bring clarity by the power of your Holy Spirit. For those who have sinned against you in their past or maybe in the present, Lord, may they turn to you 
and receive your forgiveness and repent of their sin and walk with you because they love you. For marriages that are crumbling right now, Lord, glue it back. For couples that come with the towel ready to be thrown in, Lord, may they put it away. Lord, for those who are single and are terrified of marriage, God, may you give them a vision for marriage and a vision for singleness that is beautiful. And God, may we as a church just hold fast to the word of God and walk with each other through our failures, through our struggles, through our shortcomings, through our sin. And Lord, in so doing, may we, this church at the brook, be your bride that is ever so beautiful in your sight.